All right, good morning, Living Waters Fellowship. Good to be here this morning. I wish I could say it was good to see you guys. I can see a few, see the tech team and some of our other people here, which is good. And Lord willing, soon we will be able to see each other face-to-face as opposed to online. But super thankful that we can actually gather this way, that we can study God's Word. Thankful to hear and sing along with, with Brandon and just to lift up praises to our God. And so, as we meet this morning, um, I'd just like to read the passage of Scripture we're going to study this morning, that we're going to go through, and then pray as we continue worshiping God through His Word this morning. So let me get, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. It says, For then God made a promise to Abraham. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and Lord, that you just, Lord, desire to encourage us through your word. Lord, we are so thankful for the truth of your word and for the promises that you gave. The promises you gave initially to Abraham and that you fulfilled through your son. And Father, I pray that this morning you would challenge us, encourage us, and help us to move forward, to be more like your son. And so, Lord, we just pray these things. Pray this morning, Lord, that your word would be clear. And Lord, that you would just bless your word, that I would in no way get in the way of your word. But Lord, that you would just clearly use your word to encourage, challenge, and build up the saints. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we as we begin this morning, all right, this is the first time in like a month I've had to put a belt on, all right? One of the benefits of being here through going through the COVID pandemic is I've been able to wear basically shorts to work for the last month. It's been great, uh, but, you know, decided to put on regular clothes this morning as we go through God's word. And this is, if you guys are joining us this morning, it's, it's been a lot of up and down. Right, as we've gone through this, and many of you are looking for hope because this has been a crazy time. No one has lived through a pandemic quite like this. I mean, we've we've referenced, we've heard a lot about the Spanish flu in 1918, but I don't know many 102 year olds, and so none of us have lived through this. And this is an, an interesting experience. We're going to talk a little bit about hope and an anchor for our soul this morning, and as we do that just to start thinking, thinking through things. How many of you have ever put hope in something that is not 
that is not, that didn't turn out well. You put hope in something thinking it was going to be great. And yet your hope was misplaced. All right. And we've probably all done that. All right. And I remember, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, as we, as I was growing up as a middle school, do fun things you do. And my friends and I decided that on our way home from our friend's birthday party, we would just hold races in the middle of the street to help us get home quicker. And because boys always come up with super intelligent ideas, especially at the middle school age. All right. And so that's what we did. We were racing. We were having fun. And the other important thing to do was to, when the car was coming, just to move just enough out of the way to be out of the way of the car. All right. And so again, super intelligent. These are things you should not do. All right. Never do. God was gracious. So we were doing that thinking somehow that made us cool, putting hope in our own ability to stay out of the way of cars, putting our, I was putting my hope in my friends and it was all well and good until a high school senior drove by and didn't think it was too cool what we were doing, especially staying really close to his car. And so he decided to jump out and talk to us about it. And I was the one that was staying close to the cars. And so he jumped out of his car and came and ran at me. I had my hope in my friends. All right. And and that three friends with me, two guys and a girl. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any older brother. I'd never been confronted like this. And so a guy came running out and I was like, oh man, what do I do? Smart thing would have probably been to just run away. But I stood there. I was like, I don't want to be a coward. I, you know, I got my friends with me, put my hope up. So I stand there. And I mean, you can see even in middle school, I was built very similar. You know, his camera supposedly adds 10 pounds. These arms were even skinnier back then. All right. And so I, but I stood my ground. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I stood there and this guy came up and he was, he was ready to, I don't know what, he was going to punch me, beat me up, something. And I thought my friends were right behind me. And so he comes up and I turn around. The two guys were like half a block away already, sprinting and turned around to look at me. And the girl, the Cynthia, who stayed the closest was like 15 feet behind. And so all of a sudden my hope, my confidence that I had at least four of us middle schoolers against this big guy faded because now I was by myself. And so my hope was misplaced and God was gracious because I didn't know what else to do except for just stare the guy in the eyes. And apparently that was enough for him to just say, knock it off, say some few choice words to me and then get back in his car and drive away. But my hope in my friends was misplaced. I thought, and, and they're still good friends. I wasn't, you know, they probably did the smart thing running away. I should have followed their example. But the cool thing that we're going to look at this morning is that God gives hope and there is no misplaced hope when we place our hope in God. He always comes through. We are going to look at God and the God that gives promises, the God that rewards faith and the God that provides hope. And we're going to see these things this morning that he is, he never lies. He never changes his mind and our hope can be solid and secure in him. And it's, it's an amazing passage. And so we're going to look through all of those things this morning as we go. And last week, right? As we studied through, continued our study in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews gave us a very strong warning. All right. To not take salvation for granted, to not just drift along, to not be lazy. He had done the same thing in Hebrews 2. He told us not to drift because that is our tendency, right? If we are honest with ourselves, our tendency is to drift and to become lazy. 
And so the author of Hebrews did not want that to happen. And he gave a very strong warning. And as Pastor Josh went through it, did an amazing job of walking through that for us and unpacking that. And so the cool thing is at the end of that warning, just as, as, as Pastor Josh said, just as we go through, the goal was not to just leave us cowering in fear. Because if we look at the end of the passage last week in verse 11, it says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have a full assurance of hope until the end so that you won't be sluggish, but be imitators of those through faith and and patience inherit the promises. And so he gave us a warning, but now he's going to give us an example that we can have hope. And this example that he gives us is Abraham. All right. And we see that in verse 13. And we're going to see, first of all, that God gives promises. And it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless and bless you and multiply you. And so God, the the author of Hebrews goes back to an example for us. He goes to the example of Abraham, the example of the father of our faith, the father of the nation of Israel. And he gives us an example to encourage us. It says when God made a promise to Abraham, he had no one greater by whom to swear. And obviously when we're talking about swearing here, just to clear up in case some of you are reading this Bible and are like, well, it has so much reference to swearing. It's making a promise. All right. Just another way to say to make a promise as you swear an oath or as you make a promise. And that's what it's talking about here. And so he had no one greater by whom to swear. So he swore by himself. And then it, it quotes Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 16 through 18. This is right after Abraham took his son, Isaac to the top of the mountain and was willing to sacrifice him. And this, this is the, the example and the idea and the picture that the author of Hebrews is painting for us. He says, God said, after Abraham took these steps of obedience, He said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And God gave promises to Abraham. He had promised Abraham. He made this promise to Abraham over 25 years ago. At this point in Genesis 22, it was probably like 38 to 40 years ago that he had given this promise to Abraham. God is the one who made the promise. God is the one who kept the promise. If you remember in our study of Genesis, that we went through before our study of Hebrews, even in, in Genesis 15, when God gave the covenant to Abraham, the covenant was not contingent upon Abraham or anything Abraham did. God alone fulfilled that covenant. It wasn't based on Abraham's actions or his fulfillment of anything because when they, all right, like what we talked about, when they had their covenants back in the Old Testament, they would split animals in half and walk through the middle of those animals. All right. And we are thankful that we don't sign contracts that way today, that we don't make our oaths and promises that way, that we don't split animals in half and have to walk through the middle. But when that happened, God himself was the only one who passed through. And it was to signify that he alone would accomplish this covenant and bring everything about to pass. And so it is amazing as we look through this, that it says, when God made a promise to Abraham, he had no one greater to swear. So he said, I will bless you and multiply you. God makes amazing promises. And the next thing you see this example 
as it said, and thus Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And the next thing we see in this example of Abraham is God rewards faith. All right. And, and this is, man, this is, it's so tied in throughout all of Hebrews as we talk, you know, as you look at Hebrews 11, one, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the things not yet seen. And then 11, six, it says without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards faith. And if you look at this, the cool thing is that it just said, what does Abraham's life of faith look like? How is it characterized? He boils it down into one thing. He says, patiently waited. All right. He patiently waited for God to act. That doesn't mean, right? We studied through Genesis. That doesn't mean that Abraham didn't make any mistakes. It doesn't mean that Abraham just sat around and did nothing. Abraham obeyed and took steps of faith. All right. But when God made this promise, when he first brought Abraham out in Genesis 12 and started giving him promises, Abraham had to wait a long time. He was promised a son at the age of 75. That son did not come to him until he was 100. 25 years he waited. And if any of you have ever waited for anything, 25 years is a long time to wait. All right. And especially when you are waiting on that promise to come and God has promised it. And what does God honor here? What does he point out about Abraham? What is the author of Hebrews? Is that he patiently waited. It wasn't about Abraham and his actions because the actions that Abraham took some good, some bad. If you remember, he went to Egypt to get away from a famine. And when he went to Egypt, he lied about his wife. So Pharaoh took his wife. He said, Oh, she's my sister. And so he, that was a, a step because he wasn't fully trusting that God would bring about what he did. He tried to take things into his own hands, maybe. So God was gracious through that. Then he came back and then there was the whole issue with, with Sarah's servant, Hagar, and having this Ishmael. And all the things when Abraham tried to take it into his own hands, things did not go well. All right. And again, he, w- he went to a guy named Abimelech and again lied about his wife. And Sarah was again taken. This all happened before she had the son. And even, you know, Abimelech, when he was talking to Abraham, he's like, what did you intend when you said, when you said she was my sister, that she's your sister? What did you intend to happen? And Abraham didn't always plan everything out. He took good steps, but through this patient waiting. What did he learn? He learned that God is who he says he is and that he keeps promises. That even though Abraham took some steps that we have all taken ups and downs, good steps, bad steps, God was going to keep his promise. And God, he, so he found out, all right, this same Abraham that made those mistakes that tried to take things into his own hand, it's the Abraham that patiently waited in, on God. And it talks about him even in, in Romans 4 going through that he never wavered in his faith. That doesn't mean that he never made mistakes. It doesn't mean that he didn't. But overall, he continued to trust that God would fulfill the promise that he gave. Even in those times when he messed up, he still in his mind knew that God would somehow fulfill those promises. And so that is the example for us. The example for us is not to take 
some huge, massive step that is maybe crazy. God may lead us to that point. But the, the example is to patiently wait on God. We have Abraham as an example who waited patiently on God and God provided. God came through and it, he never lies. And so we see that God rewards faith, patience, waiting on him. And again, that's not sitting around being lazy or sluggish. The author of Hebrews just told us, do not become lazy, but you are to patiently wait on God because it is all about him. When we try and do it in our own strength, when we think it's about us is when we get into trouble. Same thing happened for Abraham. Same thing happens throughout the Bible. When people put it in their own hands, things go poorly. And so God gives promises. God keeps those promises. He gives promise to us. He's the one who keeps those promises. God rewards faith. And I just, I mean, you just continue to look through the life of Abraham. It is so amazing to see his growth. The same man that lied about his wife was willing to take his son Because as we read about, he was willing to offer Isaac to God and to give him up. The guy, the the Abraham that lied about his wife grew. He wouldn't, he was not the same guy anymore. He would not have done that again in that situation because he grew in faith because he understood God would keep his promises. And the cool thing you can see as you study on when he sent for Isaac to get to find a wife for Isaac, you could see that he was completely reliant, reliant upon God. There was no question. He said, God will provide. And so he knew that now beyond the shadow of a doubt. And it's, that's what the example that we are supposed to follow. And then it goes on. The, the author then kind of begins to apply this to us. In verse 16, he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves and all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So he goes back to this, this idea of oaths and promises and why do we have to swear by something greater than ourselves? All right. Why do we have to do that? Because by sin nature, we're dishonest. We seek to get out of things that are going to harm us. Right. And we, we try and get away from things. Right. I mean, I was even yesterday outside, my daughters are playing on the trampoline and I even heard a little conversation, part of their conversation. And uh, part of their conversation, they're like, well, you break promises all the time. And they were talking to each other because they're like, oh, you go inside and then you don't come back out. You say you're going to do this and then you don't do that. And so that's why they have to pinky promise supposedly. And as if that's, you know, somehow binding, I'm not sure how pinky promises started, but they do that somehow that you touch your pinkies together. That is much stronger than if you just tell somebody you're going to do something. So it's, you know, it's the power of the pinky or they do all these other things And even as we get older, people begin to swear on things that are greater than themselves, right? If you can read through Matthew 5, 33 through 37, where Jesus is challenging people that we shouldn't need to swear, especially as believers in Christ, because our our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Talks about that in James 5, 12 as well. But that people swear, they would swear on the temple. They would swear on the altar because by that they were saying, I am calling God as my witness and he will come down. And so, people would swear oaths and they would tie things, either the altar, the temple, God, you know, I mean, obviously like, as you hear people swear on their 
loved ones graves different things like that trying to invoke like hey i would never go back on this this i'm calling this person as witness or this is how important it is to me we do that because we tend to break promises because we're not perfect we're not infallible and so he brings this up he says people swear by something greater than themselves but all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. And so just like today, like we sign contracts, right? You can't walk into a cell phone company and say, you know what? I will continue to pay you for this phone and your service. Just don't worry about it. I don't need to sign anything. I don't need to give you any information. I'll just, don't worry. Money's coming. All right. We don't, we can't do that. We can't walk up, say, you know, this house, I like this house. I see it's for sale. I don't need to sign. I'm just going to buy it. Don't worry. I will pay you the money each month. You don't have to just take my word. All right. I guarantee it. All right. 200%. It's not valid anymore. That's why we have to sign contracts. We sign mortgages. We sign all these things because we are prone to break promises. And so it says, he brings that up in verse 16. And then it said, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise and the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And so this goes back to that Genesis 22 passage in Genesis 22, 16. Um, he says when he's talking to Abraham and he says, by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord in Genesis 22:16, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring, which is what was just quoted a couple verses before. And so, and then, and the cool thing it talks about, this is why this passage is so amazing and so encouraging. And this is why Abraham is our example. It says the characters, it says, um, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the heirs of the promise, that is us today. We are heirs of the same promise that was made back in Genesis 22 because after that, in twenty two eighteen, he says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And it says, and your offspring shall all, and through your offspring or in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And even that was the beginning of the messianic promise that all nations would be blessed through the line of Abraham, through Israel. And we are heirs of the promise. You can read through Galatians 3. It talks about, um, as it goes through and it talks about Abraham and in, uh, Galatians three twenty seven, it says for as many of you have, were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. That's amazing that he is saying that to us, that we are heirs today, 2000 years after Christ came, how many 6,000 years or so since Abraham, we are heirs of the same promise. God is still keeping that promise. We are blessed through Christ. And the thing is he wanted to encourage us. So he swore an oath by himself because there was nothing greater for him to swear by to say, you know, like we say, we can swear on the, on the altar, the Israelites did that or on God's word or things like that. Like this is going to seal my promise. There was nothing greater for God to seal the promise. than he did it 
on his own name. He said, I swear an oath by myself. And it continues to explain that. It says, so that by these two un- two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie. And so these two unchangeable things, like if you read this passage, like I did, you're like, well, it says two unchangeable things. And it says impossible for God to lie. What's the other unchangeable thing? All right. Because it doesn't seem, but what he's saying is the two unchangeable things are the fact that he swore an oath. That is his promise. And he cannot lie. Those things are unchangeable. His character does not change. He swore an oath. He keeps his word. Those are unchangeable. God never changes. And there are many verses that we could go to that, that talk about the fact that God does not change. And so he did that. Why did he do that? To encourage us because we needed strong encouragement. It says so that by these two encourageable things in which it is impossible for him to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. And so we see, we saw that God gives promises. We saw that God rewards faith. We see that God provides hope. He provides true and real hope. All right. And it says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. All right. And so it's just a quick word picture, but why do you flee somewhere for refuge? Like, do you flee for refuge on a day like today in Iowa where it's 69 degrees outside, no wind, sunny, few clouds here and there. Nobody outside is running in panic, fleeing for refuge, right? You, you see people flee for refuge when the tornado sirens go off, which down to, you know, we're coming into tornado season. People flee for refuge when they are in panic, when they don't know what to do, when they are being challenged. And so why we might not be fleeing for refuge outside because it's beautiful outside. Many of us are in, in turmoil because of what is going on within this world, fleeing for refuge, realizing that the things we have put our hope in, whether it is work, whether it is family, whether it is government, all these different things that these things can be taken away, that all these things can change in an instant as we have seen through this COVID-19 pandemic. But he says, those who have fled for refuge, we can flee to God. He is our refuge. That means that if you have never fled to God, you need refuge. We are in need of refuge from God. And if you've never come to him, you need to come to him because you need a refuge and salvation from your sin. And for those of us who have already come to know him, we need to continue to seek our refuge and our solace and our comfort in him so that we can have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Just as Jesus, it will say in in Hebrews 12, that Jesus endured the cross for the hope that was set before him. We can endure for the hope that is set before us. And what is our hope? He goes on to say, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And so God doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro, to be going up and down in the waves. He wants us to find refuge in him. This is why he made the promise through Abraham. This is why he offers it. This is why he gave us encouragement by swearing the oath, even upon his own name, so that we know that he will keep his promise, that there is no doubt. 
And it is that we can have this hope. And as we think about hope, sometimes we throw this word out and the hope is like a, you know, we use that word a lot. Like I, every year, I hope Michigan wins all their football games. All right. Every year they do not. All right. And my hope is only as good as what I put my hope in. Right. I can, we, you know, as this COVID pandemic has gone on, we haven't been able to have youth group. We've made videos. All right. We've, and so one of the recent videos we made was called, will it blend, which I don't know. Again, guys come up with great ideas. All right. And so why wouldn't we blend a whole bunch of really weird things together and then drink it? I mean, that seems great. Right. And that's, that's what we did. And I could put all my faith and hope in the world in that Jared's idea of blending up green bean casserole and adding coffee, ground coffee to it would somehow be good. And I could believe that with my whole heart, but the flaw is that it's not good. All right. It is not good to start with. And it doesn't matter how much faith I have. It won't make it good. Or that somehow if Rob combines grenadine that has been expired for four years and puts like a liter of that in with, I don't, with horseradish sauce and other stuff. And I want to believe in my heart that that will taste delicious. It does not. All right. There, it, it does not. And it's horrible. But the cool thing is, as we transition is that the thing isn't about necessarily about us. It's not about us and the amount of our faith. It is who and what we are placing our faith in. If you are placing your hope, trust, faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, it will let you down. And that's why he ends with this. He says the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul is the hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. And who is that? That's Jesus because he makes it very clear. He says, because Jesus has gone this is where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus is our hope. And we talked about that. Even this has been going on right throughout the whole book of Hebrews that Jesus is greater. He is better. Sometimes we have a hard time letting go of what is old. And the, the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is writing to these people trying to keep them. They want to hold on to the old covenant. They want to hold on to the law, to all these things. Yet instead they are, they, they, he's telling them that they have to let go, that they have to put their faith, trust in Christ, that Jesus is greater than their priest, that Jesus is greater than the old law. He is greater than all these things. And he has accomplished what those things could not. And so Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf so that we can follow a forerunner goes so that we can follow. And this hope is a steadfast anchor for our soul. It keeps us grounded in the midst of the turmoil of life. And obviously living in the middle of Iowa, we don't have a ton of experience with anchors and boats but the anchor keeps the boat solid. And it is you flee to refuge in God is a picture of a harbor fleeing to refuge and an anchor holding the boat and just going with the picture of in the Hebrews too, that he doesn't want us to drift 
that we need to hold on. And again, sometimes we think about this, well, so then I need to hold fast to the anchor. That's not, it's not really how anchors work, right? If I'm, if I'm going to anchor myself, I'm going to use an anchor in a boat, but I'm the only thing holding on to that anchor. Again, you saw these sides of my arms earlier. That's not going to work. All right. It's not going to last. The cool thing is Jesus is both ends of the anchor. He is the anchor within our heart, providing salvation. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge of salvation. And then he has gone before us behind the curtain where they were offering the one sacrifice that can cleanse for all time from sin. And so he is securing both ends. He is keeping us grounded. And so as we look at that, as you think just um, the cool thing, and, and there's so much that we could go through, but just ending just briefly as we, as we close down, what Jesus has accomplished is so incredible. In in chapter seven of Hebrews, it says in verse 18, on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope. And we see that word again, hope is introduced in which we can draw near to God. And it was not for, it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one who was made a priest with an oath by this one who said, the Lord is sworn and I will not change my mind. You are a priest forever. And so these priests that were, that the people were placing their trust in, it talks about in verse 23 that they had to be continually more and more priests because they were not eternal. They, they died and their priesthood was not permanent, but Jesus is permanent. And that was why he is a priest forever. And we'll talk more about Melchizedek as, as we continue our study in Hebrews and go into chapter seven. But again, Jesus as a priest after the order of Melchizedek and the fact that there wasn't really an order. He came, he was a new order of priest. He's the perfect high priest. And it says, because of this, he's a permanent priest forever. Consequently, in verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is that priest. He is our hope. The promise that started back with Abraham is the same promise that God is keeping now through his son. So as we close, if we think about that, if you have never, right, if you're going through this pandemic, if you're going through life and you don't have hope, that you are just at your wit's end or you are convicted of your sin. You don't know what to do with it. The only thing you can do is turn to Christ. All right. There are so many people who tried to do other things to make up for their sin, to do actions. There is no way. It has always been about faith, right? When we look at what, how Abraham was made righteous before God, it was by faith, not by works. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ, faith in him alone. And so if you have never placed your faith in Christ, if you don't know where you would spend eternity, I would challenge you to look to Jesus. He is hope and anchor for your soul. And if you've already made that decision, but you're struggling, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling to walk as God would have you to walk, then put your eyes on Jesus. Look at the anchor of your soul. It is what Jesus has accomplished, not what we do. 
And a life of faith is not so much about our actions, but in taking God at his word and taking steps of obedience, knowing that he will never fail us, never fail us. So I will pray and then we will sing another song, but just think on those things. May God challenge us. May we continue to have the hope in his son as we go through our day. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, so many times we are distracted. So many times we drift or maybe sluggish. But God, you have made the promises. You sent your son. And Lord, you will bring it to pass. You will accomplish what you started. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we give up or that we lack faith in you, Lord, because you will always come through and that we can rest assured in that. So Lord, as we, if we are struggling, for those that are struggling, Lord, may they remember who you are. May they look through the ways that you have kept your promises in the past and continue to keep your promises now and how you will bring it all to pass, that we do have a hope and we have a certainty that we will spend eternity with you if we have placed our faith and trust in your son. So Lord, I just pray that this morning, that we would continue to seek you and that we would just have that assurance and calm in our soul that only you can provide. In Jesus' name, amen.